Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sports Day Insider, brought to you by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Callie Kaplan. Hello, Callie. Hello from sunny San Francisco, Kevin. Yes, I know that's a great place to be uh, on a day like today. Is it, is it nice? Is the weather nice? Yeah, it's like upper 50s, sunny, so I think much better than Dallas right now. Well, no, no, we're actually pretty good here right now. It's, uh, it is, I think, upper 50s now. It's, it's nice. So for all we know, you're not really even in San Francisco. You're just covering this from a local hotel. And you're just, you're just bilking the company out of thousands of dollars. Maybe I should have never left. Okay, there you go. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a virtual world now. You can do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. You can be anywhere at any time. Now they're going to be out there playing uh, Golden State. And we're going to talk about the Mavs a little bit later. But that's, uh, it's, uh, the, the Mavericks have presented themselves some interesting options here as we head into the uh, second half of the season. So we're going, to, we're going to talk about that and the impact that Jason Kidd has made. Joining us also is David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. All things considered, I'd rather be in San Francisco. Yeah, wouldn't we all? <laughs> great place. Where are you going for lunch, Callie? You have any place scoped out? That's a great question. It's only it's not even nine thirty yet here, so I think I just got some time to to figure it out. I've never been to San Francisco before, so trying oh, really? to explore a oh. little bit. Yeah. David will give you all kinds of places. He's a real bon vivant. He can uh, give you all <laughs> kinds of places to eat and go to in San Francisco. Great spots there. Yes, there are. And then our uh, trailing the caboose, as always, our old pal, Evan Grant. Hi, Evan. How are you? Oh, hi, Kevin. Hi, everybody. It's, it's good to know once again that you are on the case making sure that nobody is bilking the company out of money. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, did have one time our old pal Brandy Galloway came to me when my when the lovely wife was still I'd working. I'd be careful the- on who you call my old pal there. Well, it's easy as a old pal. And uh, matter of fact, he just turned uh, 70. Was he 79 or 80? I can't remember which one, but anyway. Uh, And he came down and told me, listen, you're going to have to start putting down more stuff on your expense accounts because you're making the rest of us look bad. You know, it's like, I think what he meant was you're making me look bad uh, because of the the interesting things that Randy could come up with for his expense account. Yeah, I think you were putting down those belt busters and dilly bars for like... (laughs) 680 for your lunch. Uh, I did hit a few Dairy Queens in my day. I, one time I think I knew where every Dairy Queen in Texas was when I was covering the Southwest Conference. So it was, those were heady days, you know, and probably led to that first heart attack. But anyway. I'll still uh, just, I'll regale you with the tale of my first uh, month at the Dallas Morning News when I got to cover the Super Bowl in New Orleans and, uh, um, the Patriots and the Packers played, and after the game the next morning, I stood outside the uh, hotel, which I guess was the Hyatt and may still be the Hyatt at that at now, um, with my little ticket for the shuttle back to the airport, uh, which had been supplied to me by our administrative assistant, the great Lori Dunlop. And uh, I saw a cab go by and screech to a halt, and Galloway stick his head out and said, what are you doing? And uh, I said, well, I'm waiting for the shuttle. He said, son, we don't take shuttles. Get in this cab. <laughs> I'm surprised it was just a cab. I'm surprised it wasn't a limo service. That would have been more up Randy's alley. You know, if you, it, I was always, you were always Randy's driver wherever you, wherever you went. And, uh, and if you, and if you didn't rent a Cadillac, or at least a Lincoln Town Car. You were in real trouble with with Randy. Uh, so anyway, uh, I, 
remember those days finally. Callie, I'm sorry you missed the great Randy Galloway. Uh, he's a uh, he was a real character. Uh, we had a few of them at the Morning News over the years, and he was probably number one. Uh, so, but let's move on from uh, the old days and talk about these days and what's going on, David. The the uh, the Cowboys. Jerry Jones has not come out and said, "Man, I love me some Mike McCarthy, and he's going to be my head coach until I croak." That's that's the headline we want to see, and then my headline, my coach until I croak. I like that. These still are the old days with the Cowboys, right? Have you yes. have you seen any discernible change over the last twenty six years? No, Has there I been have any not. Evolution in the product on the field and advancement in the postseason. Um, no, there has not been any. No, Same no, stuff. and I think I think that's a lot of the what you're seeing now, and why Jerry hasn't come out and declared that Mike McCarthy who is about to enter the third year of a five-year contract uh, is not going to go anywhere. Uh, but he hasn't given him, he hasn't declared that he'll be back. I, I think I think Jerry understands that this, this was a really big gut punch for fans. Um, I, I think a lot of fans who were skeptical allowed themselves to believe this year could be different uh, because you saw – you know, to me, it was similar to what you had in 2016 when Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott were rookies. That team went 13 and three. They lost in the first round, but what did fans tell themselves then? Well, I mean, we we've recalibrated this thing. We have, you know, we have Elliott, we have Prescott, we have a good young nucleus now. This team is going to get back in advance in the postseason. Now you fast forward six years later. You still have Prescott and Elliott in place. You still have some scar tissue that's been built up over these last five, six years, in addition to the 20 years that ha- went before it. But you're going, well, yeah, I don't believe, oh, my gosh, look at Micah Parsons. That guy, man, he's really something. He, he's good. Not only is he good, he may be one of the best defensive players in the league. And Trayvon Diggs, well, you know, two interceptions is nice. Three, four, really? Now he has five? How did he get that? Now he has the most interceptions in 40 years in the NFL. So I think fans slowly over the regular season, their skepticism and their disbelief in what this team could do eroded. And then it got to the postseason. And went, you know what? This team really can be different. It's 12 and five. It's the number three seed. They're at home. They should beat San Francisco. Let's go. And what happens? They don't even lead in the game at any point. And so now I think there's just... I will never be fooled again. I think the level of skepticism is so high. And Jerry understands that. So I think, the re- in my mind, the reason Jerry hasn't come out and said Mike McCarthy is definitely returning is because he knows that wouldn't play well with fans right now. He wants the fans to know he feels their pain. He's as frustrated as they are. He's as upset as they are. But I really think Jerry's boxed in in some ways here because I, I don't know – with the salary cap constraints in place going forward, from a personnel standpoint, this team isn't going to be as good next year as it was this year. Uh, from a draft standpoint, they're drafting in the bottom third of each round, not the top third. Um, you know, this team, just from a talent perspective, isn't going to be as good next year. So if you're the owner, how do you sell hope and excitement? I think excitement takes care of itself the way the NFL is structured with close games. But hope, 
I, I think I think Jerry's in a tough bind now as far as selling hope and why you believe next year's team should be different. Evan, did you want to say something? Yeah, I just don't know that I agree that the a good strategy is sowing more doubt in fans' minds about the coach. And the more you let this this twist in the wind, the more people are going to say um, that this guy doesn't belong here. And I think the more we're going to eat up long-term that with the first failure of next season, that Jerry's got a dismal situation on his hand. And if there are strong candidates out there, um, and I don't know how strong a candidate Dan Quinn is uh, as a head coach. I don't know how realistic Sean Payton is as a head coach, but let me say this. If you think either one of them is a strong candidate, they're certainly not going to be sitting there next year, six games in, uh, if the Cowboys do get off to a bad start and Jerry is forced to make a, a, a decision. I, I just think this is a bad move on Jerry's part. Um, you can you can feel empathy for the fans by taking all the responsibility on yourself or, God forbid, actually hiring a general manager for a change. Um, I, I think letting the coach twist in the wind uh only only is going to backfire long term. Well, let's look at this now from the standpoint of uh, we're going to divide this into two segments. We're going to say, should Mike McCarthy come back? And then we're going to, then we're going to answer, will he come back? But let's start with the show. We're going to go around the table here. We're going to start with Callie. Callie, you know, I know you've been very busy on that Mavericks beat, but I'm assuming you see a Cowboys every once in a while. You, you may read about them occasionally. She doesn't. She doesn't. No, she's just <laughs> ignoring them. She hates the Cowboys. I, uh, I read. I read occasionally. Yeah. There you go. Good. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, you, you sound like my wife now. I read your stuff occasionally. Uh, so, uh, if if you from everything that you have heard and seen and watched and listened as we babble on about this kind of stuff, do you think that Mike McCarthy should come back as the head coach? It's a wonderful question, and I feel like there's a reason that you put me first to go so that I can't take anybody else's ideas here. Um, do I think he should? No, but I was in the camp of just general NFL fan where I was like, he probably shouldn't have been the guy in the first place. Yeah. Um, will he probably? Yes. Because I don't think that there's anyone out there at this point in the, the hiring process that would necessarily be better. That's actually available right now that you wouldn't have to, collude or otherwise swing some interesting dealings to to get like a Sean Payton and so I would say should he be the coach probably never should have been will he be I guess so I'm a Ravens fan we have very consistent ownership and very consistent head coaching dealings so I'm kind of new at this whole like see I I did I adopt the Cowboys as my team heading into the playoffs because the Ravens didn't make it so I you know some uh, professional financial interests. If the Cowboys oh do well, gosh. the paper does well. I was like, let's get on board. I learned oh, my lesson. Never again. So that's kind oh, of. We thought you were betting. We thought you were betting. I did. I did in my pools. That was not so much as my uh, my long term uh, professional interest in how this <laughs> you, how this paper might you, do. 
I thought you had thousands of dollars riding on these games, and that's what you were bitter about. I don't have thousands of dollars in anything, Kevin. No, <laughs> me neither. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, I, I didn't want us to really reveal what our, our will be back yet. I want to, you know, for all those fans of, of our podcast listening now who want Mike McCarthy gone, I want them to build up to something at least for a little while. Okay, before first, they, all of those fans, how would you define all of those fans listening to our podcast? Well, what you number know, do you put that? Two or more. Uh, two more is, is okay, all. I'll, so that I'll think that's enough. That. Oh, absolutely, sure. And what's a strong word there? I yeah. Think. All right. We're now we're going to go to Evan. Evan, now should he be back? Don't don't tell me your will. We've already got Callie's, but don't tell me your will. Should he be back as the head coach? I, I guess my first my first statement would be let me let me answer a question with a question, and that's for both of you guys. And it's just a simple yes or no. Has Mike McCarthy added value to this team on the field? Significant value in his two seasons as head coach. All I've heard from uh, – I'm not trying to put you in a corner, Kevin, but all I've heard from your columns have been questions about coaching decisions, about clock management, about play calling. Um, yes, they were 12-5 and five this year, but I read an awful lot about questions over, over this guy's game management, and, and it seems like that would be an issue for me that I haven't seen this team significantly improve uh, from a head coaching standpoint in two years. I think they, the, the, the answer to, to your question about that is how much he's improved the value. That's a legitimate question. Uh, obviously, they were much better this year on the field than they were last year. Uh, but who do we give credit for that? Do we give Mike McCarthy credit for that, or do we give Dan Quinn credit for that? Because the defense is what really got better. The offense – you know, didn't, uh, you, you can't really make a comparison because the quarterback was out all last year, so we, we can't really say. Uh, well, you can say they were better because the quarterback played all Well, year. it was the quarterback's back, but I'm, but I'm not going to credit any particular coach for that. You really do – I mean, even with um, the, the drafting of Micah Parsons and the improvement of Trayvon Diggs, I think that was probably natural. We all saw last year there were things about him that were just really, uh, you know, impressive. I, I, I liked Trayvon Diggs his rookie season. He – didn't have uh, he had what David two two interceptions his rookie yeah. year mm-hmm. yeah uh, so um, but you know it sure did seem like an awful coincidence that the defense was so much better overall than it was last year so I, I think that you know you could easily say well this is more the work of Dan Quinn than it was of Mike McCarthy so the improvement that you're talking about the value of the team being better now this year. I'm not sure who who gets that at this point. So that's a legitimate question. And the last thing, I mean, I'm obviously in a should he return. I think based on my answers, I'm leaning towards towards the negative. Um, But the other thing that really that really bothers me is still the lack of a legitimate explanation about the play call on the last play of the game of the playoff game last week. I feel like it's either been in a best case scenario, dodged or more realistically, um, unnaturally defended. That that's 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 my outsider's point of view. Obviously, David's got a more well-informed perspective. But if you're asking me, should he? I, I'd say probably not. Okay, so we got two knots on the shoulds, David. Uh, yes, he should return. I I think that. Um, Mike McCarthy doesn't care about 
public perception as much as he should as a head coach. And I think that undercuts him in these times. I don't think it undercuts him in the locker room and the culture he builds uh, with the with the players or with his coaching staff. Um, and we're talking about, you know, we're debating whether who gets the credit here for the defensive turnaround and, and that and and perfectly understandable, good conversation. I will say I don't think there are enough head coaches that are secure enough that would bring in a Dan Quinn as readily as Mike McCarthy did and be willing to turn over the defense and, and say, okay, I defer to your expertise in this area. You are a coordinator again. I am not threatened by you. Do your job. Let's go. And, and I, I think the coaching staff that, that Mike McCarthy has put together here is light years ahead of anything Jason Garrett put together in his time here. And I thought that was one of Jason Garrett's biggest failings. Perhaps his biggest failing as a head coach here was his inability to assemble a good, strong staff that you could take, uh, that you could bring to the field year in and year out. I think Mike McCarthy has done that because of his contacts. I think that other coaches enjoy working for Mike McCarthy. Um, you know, he's, and again, I, I think a lot of credit should go for the culture that he has put in place uh, and, and the way he approaches the job behind the scenes. But I understand why these questions come up. But I would also raise this. There were no serious discussions on the outside and really no tremors from within going into the San Francisco game about whether or not Mike McCarthy should return next year as head coach. Uh, no serious conversations, internally or externally. Now suddenly they lose, and it's like, oh, well, you can't bring him back, can you? I would argue this is imprinting the failures of the last 26 years on top of the latest failure. I don't – look, I, I thought they should have won that game. Uh, they certainly – should have been more competitive. They shouldn't have gone into the fourth quarter down 23-7 to at home uh, against a, a team that arguably they have more talent across the board with than San Francisco. But is that the Cowboys' most egregious playoff loss over the last 26 years? I would argue it's not. But it's the latest, and all those others are imprinted on it. And so now there's this element of throw up your hands and go, okay, history's repeating itself. you got to get somebody else in here. Yeah. Kevin, I this is a question I asked you though, right? The other day. Was this the most embarrassing Cowboys playoff loss of all time? And I think what 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 we what what I shot back at you after you gave me a really good answer was that maybe the better question is was it the most co- embarrassing coaching performance in Cowboys playoff history? Yeah, I, you know, when you go off playoff history, I don't you know if you're, you're going back into the 60s then and you're talking about games where Meredith's throwing four interceptions and, and the fans are booing them off the field and all that kind of thing. So, uh, uh, I, you know, the two was it 2007 when, the, when they lost to the Giants and they beat the Giants twice in the regular season and then they lost. Well, that, that Giants team did go on to win the Super Bowl, so I had to give them credit for that. We'll see how far the 49ers go. Uh, the San Francisco team didn't go on to Green Bay. And and one without scoring an offensive touchdown. Right. And Aaron Rodgers had only one touchdown and he got his ball to his major playmakers and Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, and they still didn't win. So they followed the formula that everybody's criticizing Dallas for. Well, how could you not get the ball to your playmakers? And 
And look, that, that's a great argument too. And I don't think Dallas did a good you know job of ball distribution. But um, now in, in Green Bay's case, they continually fed it to their top two players, ignored the rest of their roster, and now they're not advancing either. So there, there are lots of different ways to advance. And, and the issue for this Dallas franchise is they haven't found a way to advance past the divisional round in 26 years when all these other teams have. Look, Cincinnati advanced with a quarterback that got sacked nine times, and he endured that and was in the game to make enough plays to win. San Francisco advances without scoring an offensive touchdown on the road in a snowstorm in the second half. Um, you know, Kansas City advances on a, on a quarterback shootout, and L.A. advances while blowing a 14-point, um, you know, fourth-quarter lead and then hitting a deep pass you know, spiking the ball and getting a field goal at the end to win. And so, I mean, all four of these teams won in different ways. The Dallas Cowboys have never found a way to win in a different way over these last 26 years, and that's a big part of the issue. And in none of those cases, Saturday or Sunday, did anybody win by a, with a quarterback draw uh, with no timeouts left. Exactly. So exactly. I think that the issue for the Cowboys uh, this this year. So now we, we get to me. We're, we're running out of uh, time in our Cowboys segment. Uh, my my point would be uh, Mike McCarthy should be back only if you don't have a better option. Uh, do, do you have a better option? Do you do you believe that Dan Quinn could be a better option as a head coach? Certainly in in Atlanta, uh, he had his ups and downs. So he got a team to a Super Bowl. They blew a Super Bowl victory. How much of that was his fault? How much of it was Kyle Shanahan's, the offensive coordinator at the time? Uh, and certainly his record in the last few years there was nothing to, to be excited about. Uh, although I will say he is a, a, a coach who commands the respect of his players. Um, I, I think that the players on this team, like Mike McCarthy, okay, I think they mimic him too much. Uh, I think the, uh, the fact that Mike did not hold players accountable he doesn't have to do that publicly, but he has to to do something about the penalties. He can't he can't get on there and 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 allow them to say things uh, about the you know about the, the there's a third there's a second team we have to compete against on the field. And I think it led to to Dak Prescott completely going off the rails with his comments after the game uh, in which he criticized the officiating. Uh, so yeah, uh, very quickly I, on that, Kevin. You know they had fourteen. Uh, penalties called on them in that wild right. card loss. In Sunday's games, Kansas City, Buffalo, the LA Rams, and Tampa Bay, those four teams combined were called for 12 penalties in Sunday's game. Yeah, see, that's just two phenomenal. less than Dallas did in the wild card game. That's just phenomenal. And to me, it's always about coaching when you have penalties. Uh, I I believe that that's a a discipline of coaching and what you're doing and what you tolerate. And I think that, that Mike McCarthy is demonstrated he tolerates too much uh and uh and doesn't enforce enough and so uh you know if i could get sean payton I, i'd take him in a heartbeat I, I love sean payton jerry jerry jones loves sean payton more to the point uh the the question would be he's under contract for uh th- like three more years uh at this point uh it's, it's been hinted that maybe he would retire maybe he would pull a bruce arians who retired from the cardinals sat out a year and then he ends up being the head coach of, of the tampa bay buccaneers if he if he retires for a year and sits out that certainly helps any team that wants to employ him then they have leverages saying well you know if he was just going to come directly to your team like john gruden 
went from the Raiders to Tampa Bay. It's going to cost you a lot of uh, personnel. You're going to have to give up picks, multiple picks. Uh, if he sits out for a year, he could just say, I'll just sit out forever. What leverage do you have now? Uh, and maybe it would cost less to get him. Uh, those are all uh, genuine. Uh, I think they're genuine questions. I think these are things that Jerry might even be contemplating. I know he has a close relationship with Sean, and, and maybe they're even having some dialogue. I have no idea uh, at this point. So that just turns us back around to should or will he come back? Will Mike McCarthy come back? My vote is that yes, he will. Uh, and this will be just really quick. Start with you, Callie. What do you think? I think you already sure. said yes. Didn't you say sure. yes, he yes. will be? Yes, okay. I did. <laughs> she's I indifferent, we had such she's a- indifferent about it as well, but. <laughs> <laughs> as probably most Cowboys fans are at this point. Yeah, exactly. Apathy reigns. <laughs> yeah. Evan? I'm going to say he won't. I I just think there's too much smoke out there and there's too much twisting in the wind. And um, we just saw Kyle Shanahan be a, as as you said, we saw Kyle Shanahan be a scapegoat in Atlanta in some regards for that Super Bowl. uh, And he wore that. And then he's gone to San Francisco and now taken this team deep into the playoffs. Um, I, I think the same could be the case for Dan Quinn if he gets a fresh start as a head coach somewhere else, gets out from under the the tide of the Falcons. And so I think he's an attractive candidate. I really do. Sean Payton obviously is the guy that Jerry has a love affair with, but I think I think you cannot overlook the Dan Quinn factor. David? Will he be back? Yes. Will he be on notice and he's more likely to be fired next year if they don't advance past the divisional round? No question. Yeah. I, I think if he comes back and he doesn't get past the divisional round, he's out. That's yes. it. Uh, I think that Jerry's patience would be exhausted. I think that Jerry's at his wits end now. Uh, I think that it wouldn't take him much to, to topple him. I, I think that, that Evan brings up excellent points. And I think that those, it, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't come, if Jerry makes a decision now. I'm just saying this is what I think is probably going to happen. All right, let's move over to the Mavericks now. Callie is out uh, in uh, San Francisco to cover the uh, uh, game against Golden State as we're taping this on Tuesday morning. They're playing Tuesday night. Uh, So, Callie, tell us about this team and what you think about how they've done the first half of this season and how they've adjusted to the new head coach, Jason Kidd, considering the fact that the old head coach will be in town at the end of the week, uh, Rick Carlisle. I would say that he probably has better job security than Mike McCarthy at this point. That's just <laughs> for starters. But no, I, I think we've noticed probably since the COVID outbreak started in mid-December, but especially since January started three weeks ago, that they seem to have really bought into what Jason Kidd is doing. And it seems to, I would say, kind of manifest itself in many different levels on the team. I mean, on the court, their defense has really been buckling down. Um, Their defensive rating in January, I looked up these stats yesterday, is 5.7 points per 100 possessions better than the number two team in the NBA, Phoenix, um, in January over, I guess they've played like 12 games in January so far. So that's like, that's significant. And they've played Golden State, they've played Memphis twice, they've played Denver, they've played legitimate teams that have legitimate scores, and they've still been able to to log those stats. And so I think that's a direct reflection of what Jason's been able to get them to do, which is play defense, which I think Rick talked about last year. And that was kind of their thing last year is we're going to play better defense, we're going to get guys in here that can play defense, but it never really turned out that way uh, for any sort of meaningful stretch. So I think that's kind of the on the court way that you can see Jason's impact actually taking hold and then 
think we talked about this right before we started uh, taping, Kevin, is the the relationship between Luca and KP and just between all the guys. It seems like it's a little bit of a lighter atmosphere. Definitely. Um, I mean, it's hard to compare to last year in some ways because they were so limited in what they could do as a team because of COVID, especially for the first like four months of the season, I would say. But it just seems that everybody kind of gets along. Everybody likes what their role is. And that's KP gets to post up more. Luca gets to play in the ways he wants to play, but he also gets to play next to Jalen Brunson in the starting lineup now that he's kind of made that his spot and get the ball um, to Jalen a little bit more if he's getting double teamed or if he wants to kind of move and cut and do whatever Luca wants to do, honestly. And so I think it's, it's a natural point to kind of compare and reflect. And I think that at this point, the Jason Kidd experiment um, has been good so far, especially these last two months, I would say. Yeah, the, the most difficult thing to get players to do in basketball that they don't do naturally is to play defense. I mean, they they can play it for a little while, and then when it gets down to crunch time, then they just abandon it and go back to who they are uh, and or when times are bad. You know, because it's, it's difficult to try to – if you're an offensive player, it's difficult to be a two-way player. There's only a handful of great two-way players in the league as there are – as it is. So uh, – that, I give them a lot of credit for this. Uh, you know, Sean Sweeney, the defensive coordinator, for lack of a better term, is a, is has done a terrific job of getting these guys to buy in on on what they on what they're doing. You know, if we're talking about Jason Kidd when he was hired, uh, it wasn't exactly uh, wow. The whole town didn't get up behind that and say this is unbelievable that they're getting Jason Kidd, considering his track record as a head coach, not very good. Uh, had blow ups in Milwaukee and in Brooklyn and and uh, and problems in both places, so uh, and and then there were questions early on this season. I you know I wrote a column that <clears throat> basically they, they didn't improve the talent enough and it didn't seem to be enough buy in here and and this is going nowhere. This looks like another one and done. Well, it may be another one and done. We don't know that yet. It's just because you are what you are at the middle of the season. I think we looked at the at their schedule. They are one game better at this point than they were last year at this time. So that's not a significant improvement necessarily. Uh, but I do think we have seen trends. Uh, I do think you, when you look at their record against the upper seeds in the uh, in the West, it's pretty good. You know, right now they they own the uh, the, the season series against Memphis and against Denver, and uh, they still have three games left to play against Utah, and that'll be very pivotal uh, as well. And uh, but the only one they really have struggled against mightily has been Phoenix. Uh, mm. And that's, and that's been embarrassing. That's unfortunate because they're the number one seed. Uh, yeah, I would say most teams have probably struggled against Phoenix. They've only lost nine games all season. So true. true that. <laughs> I don't they're think no, it's a Dallas specific problem. <laughs> I, I think the, the, the bigger issue is it's like they get right to the end of the game. They've got them and then boom, you know, Chris Paul comes back and kills them every time. It seems like uh, it seems to be the, the recipe for these games against the Suns uh, this season or, or any time as a matter of since he's been in Phoenix. Uh, so, David, let, let me ask you, going back to these games uh, here and, and what they've done and what Jason Kidd has been able to do uh, uh, for for the Mavericks, how much do you give a credit to what uh, the new coaching staff uh, and, and, what the, and what the Mavericks are trying to do and what seems like an improvement because there was certainly not a great – uh, improvement in in personnel. I mean, you know, when when Bullock and, and Starting Brown are the, the 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 Reggie Bullock and Starting Brown are the two great additions, and neither one has made a significant impact. Bullock's done a little bit. Uh, Starting Brown almost not at all. Yeah, well, I I think what you're seeing now that that you didn't see 
under Rick Carlisle when he was trying to improve the defense was it's always about finding that proper balance, right? I I think that that those teams – were so good and dominant offensively under Rick Carlisle when they tried to improve defensively, their offensive efficiency dropped so far that they were really hurting themselves as a team. And they never they never really could find that balance. So you couldn't get the rest of the players to buy in. All the players saw was that, well, I know we were winning these regular season games under the old system, and now you're trying to get us to do this, and we're losing more games and we're not nearly as explosive offensively. Let's get back to that way. I, I think that, and and actually, this is where I think with the with the cascading effect of all the COVID, uh, you know, uh, COVID issues putting players out, that you know it was okay. We're going to have to adapt here, and I think it was a little bit. And plus, you had a new coaching staff. You're going to be receptive to doing things differently. You've been knocked out with that previous system for a couple of years, so you're more receptive to do receptive to, to playing defense than you were before. And, and I think I think Jason Kidd has found a better balance to this to his system on the offensive defensive balance. But again, remember what we were hearing early in the season. Oh, this team's a really bad offensive team. They shouldn't be this bad, and they really haven't improved that much defensively. But now they're seeing the benefits of that. And to me, the other thing is it's it's all about the scheme and help defense in the NBA because you just don't have enough quality individual defenders to make it work. And if you did, you're going to get blown out on the other side of the ball. You know, there's just no – the offensive talent is so, uh, you know, cutting edge in that league that – Defensively, you're just not going to be able to stack up individually. It's all going to be about team defense and help defense. And so I think they've really bought in on the help defense. And, uh, you know, look, Larry Bird was never a great defender with the Boston Celtics, but he was an outstanding help defender. Uh, And and that's where he got his steals. That's where he, uh, you know, was really able to contribute. Uh, Same with Dirk when they were making their, you know, you know, NBA Finals runs. Uh, Luca can do the same thing because he has basketball instincts. So, so put him in a scheme where he can roam double at certain times where you can't get a beat on it. But with his length and with his you know innate basketball skills, he's going to force turnovers or put the offensive player in a bad spot. And I think you're seeing that uh, more and more uh, with, with this Jason Kidd team. So, I, a lot of credit to what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, I'll jump in and say too that Luca has really bought in and in like his own little personality way where he had three steals the other night against Memphis and he wanted to be considered for like first team all defense. Um, <laughs> and he, he jokes about that a lot. And there was another game recently, I forget who it was against, but he had three blocks in the first quarter. Um, and, you know, he goes to the fr- goes to the huddle and, and says that he wants, you know, he wants <laughs> awards for his defense. So I think it really does show that when he can play kind of that low man role, and he can kind of see what's going on across the court that you can kind of use him in a way that's not going to exert his energy totally, but it's going to give him a chance to be effective and help guys. Um, like David said, and I think that's, that's been well, it's done well for both Jason's emphasis in playing better defense and, and getting Luca to really buy into that and seeing the fruits of, of being able to, to do that for. The whole and, team. and if you get three steals a game, which he's not going to do every night, but you get three steals a game, you get two baskets in transition that's anywhere from four to six points, 
that's making you a plus defender when you look overall at, at the scope of the game. So, I mean, it's it's just those little things like that. It may not seem much, but it, but if he's averaging 1.5 to 1.8 steals a game, uh, that's that's a big plus. That can be a big plus if you're playing good team defense. Yeah, he's at 1.5, which would be a career high average this year. Listen, nothing's as uniting as team defense um, when you're talking about basketball. It's the ultimate process kind of thing, and everybody's got to buy in. Um, and the buy-in comes first before the results oftentimes. And so you didn't see a whole lot of results early on. Um, you are starting to see results now, and guys really feed off that. It becomes a competitive thing inside. Guys really take heart in picking up one another. Um, the whole aspect of help defense, that's a, that is a huge element for building chemistry and a huge element for building a winning culture. Um, but I think as we talked about a little bit in the, in the pre-show, um, yeah, it didn't matter that where their struggles were last year compared to this year early on. It doesn't really matter how they're trending right now compared to early on, uh, compared to where they were trending last year. The COVID thing is, is hard to predict. What's going to matter is if this team gets past the first round, um, a lot like we were talking about the Cowboys, it seems like. Um, And and in that regard, I think the big question is going to be, can they get to, I I think for their best hopes, can they get to the number three spot? Can they, can they topple Memphis and get to the number three spot? If they do, that gives them a real shot to get to the, to the, to the Western conference finals against Phoenix. I think getting the two rounds would be a, a, a big step. And I think the the thing that's encouraging about this team, uh, despite everything that's happened to it so far, and with the the, the long absences of Luca and KP both, is that uh, they've played well against the top of the West, uh, and they uh, and they have games left with Utah. They have three games left with them, and that's going to be uh, a really significant factor in where they end up. And they need to play well in those games, uh, but. You know, early on in the season, I remember uh, when they were really struggling offensively and just couldn't make anything. And uh, asking Jason Kidd, you know, I said, do you think that this emphasis on defense is affecting the offense? And he, and he says, I will say this. I think that if we weren't playing the defense we are now, we wouldn't have won any of these games. And I think that's the, the kind of message that he's been able to get through to this team that, listen, you know, we're going to have struggles. Well, these shots are eventually going to fall. Uh, just stick with me here on this, and I and that seems to be the case. You know, I I think that that's the the mark of uh, of, of of good coaching is to get the buy in, and then as, as Evan said, uh, when they start to see that success, then they believe in it. You know, once you start to believe in in something that the coach has told you, okay, he tells us this is going to work, we're going to try it. It's not natural. Now we're doing it. Well, it does work. Okay, this is something we can fall back on. So I. I do think that, that it bodes well for this team. Of course, and then always the question is, how well do these, uh, how healthy do these guys remain for the rest of the season? Does, does KP remain healthy and being a factor? You know, six blocks the other night that was was tremendous. That's that is the one thing I'll give Rick credit for with KP. He always encouraged that, trying to tell him you are a, a valuable presence for us defensively. He just didn't have any use for him offensively uh, instead of uh, unless it was just, you know, popping away from three points range. So I, I think that, you know, uh, what Jason Kidd has been able to do is, listen, we're going to let you post up some more. Uh, this is the things that you that you should be doing. It certainly makes Charles Barkley happy, you know, when he sees him doing that. Uh, you know, it makes me happy, too. I like to see big men being big men. You know, it's all about mismatches and getting uh, getting 
getting some, when someone gives you this opportunity, you should take advantage of it. And I, and I think also, you know, when you're not making three point shots and that's all you're supposed to be doing, it, it leaves you feeling like I've got no answer. You know, I can't, I can't do anything else. Maybe I can go play some defense, but if you're not going to post me up and let me do that too, to at least kind of get my game going a little bit, it's a little bit like Josh Green, right? If he's not dunking, you know, uh, he's not real good offensively. So I think that that's the those are the things you have to know. Let's get this person comfortable doing what they can do, and then we'll see if they can get some of these other things that that we're asking them to do to work as well. And and it's what Callie wrote today with with Dorian Finney Smith. He's one of their better defenders, right? So they're a better defensive team when he's on the floor more. How can he be on the floor more? He can he can initiate the offense in addition to Brunson and Luca. So during the regular season, you give him more ball handling, you know, responsibilities to see if you can establish a third entry point in the postseason so he can be on the court more. So I mean they're they're methodically in my mind, they're kind of putting together this template of how you need to win in the postseason, and they're actually working on it and reinforcing it. And Jason hasn't shied away from saying, like, this is why we're doing it. It's because of the playoffs, even though it's still January. Um, I think in the past, that's something that, you know, oh, you don't want to talk about it. We're in the moment. And then they are in the moment. And Jason admits, you know, oh, we're in the moment. But if we don't figure out how to have a third ball handler or if we don't figure out how to win these close games or we don't figure out how to stop a Chris Paul in the fourth quarter, it's not going to mean anything come April when we're in the playoffs. And so I think – by emphasizing that, you almost make it feel like these dog days before the all-star break when everything just seems so monotonous, it makes it feel more important. It makes it feel like, hey, I should be exerting this energy now because this is all in preparation for where we want to go. And February really- is the worst month in the NBA. <laughs> you look you look historically at the numbers. The top teams usually have their worst losses in February. It's just you're far, you're deep enough into it, but you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, you see a lot. You can make up a lot of ground in February and do a lot of good things because a lot of teams just kind of check out. Speaking of checking out, we're going to switch over now from our Mavericks to the Rangers uh, in baseball. And uh, and we're all going to check out while Evan just drones on about the uh, <laughs> about the prospects of there being baseball. Hey, first of all, Evan, let me just ask you this. Is there going to be baseball this season? Yeah, there will be baseball. There will be baseball. I I, I Will it start a week late? I don't know. Will it start two weeks late? I, I, I don't know. Um, I'm still hopeful that spring training will start on time. And if a single spring training game is lost, um, if there is somebody who becomes unemployed because of this, um, it some it, with some organization, shame on baseball and the Players Association. Uh, and that's really the only thing I care about at this point in time. I, I'm seeing some guys right now, the, the – the, um, the national reporters are all live tweeting um, the arrivals at today's meeting between the MLBPA and the and MLB officials. And here's the bottom line. Nobody cares. Okay. Nobody cares what you're negotiating about. I tried to explain this to my wife. I've tried to explain this to friends. What, what are they negotiating about? The same thing they're negotiating about every year. Players want to earn more money. Owners want to give up less. Um, and it and, and fans don't uh, fans don't um, it doesn't resonate with fans because we're talking about amounts of money that that they that they never really can comprehend. So that part kind of falls on deaf ears. 
where the players should be harping on things is very much this. They want a more competitive playing field for every team. They want a floor, a salary floor. And teams should have a salary floor. There should be incentivization to uh, to compete. Players want teams to not manipulate service time um, so that when players get to the big leagues, they are there for good and they're not being arbitrarily moved around so that a team can control a player's rights long term. All these things, legally, the players are very much in principle right. But the bottom line is people don't care. They just want to see baseball. And I, I was just struck by the fact that this weekend we watched – the greatest weekend of pro football maybe ever. Those four games were incredible. Every finish, dramatic. Every game, it seemed better than the last. And baseball counters it with saying, okay, you know what? We're going to sit down at the table and have some contentious meetings about who gets to make how much money. They just don't get it. This game is falling behind other games, has fallen behind other sports. And what baseball needs to negotiate right now is how to get the game back in front of people, not how to try and parse up money between owners and players. It's just a bad look, and it gets worse with each day. End of end of rant. Well, the, the thing about baseball is that the, what they were able to do, what the union was able to do under Marvin Miller, uh, and they forged such a strong union and, uh, and, and far stronger than any other sport, and the owners have been trying to get that back ever since. Uh, and, uh, that's the unfortunate part of all of this is that, you know, you get used to certain things you get used to a certain level of uh, lifestyle and, and, and workplace. And, uh, you just, you take it for granted. And I think in baseball, that's what they're doing. And, uh, and I certainly feel like, uh, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna side with either, either side on this, uh, owners are making plenty of money. Players are making plenty of money. At least the, the upper tier guys are. Uh, I think there are certain things that, that need to be uh, of concern. I'm not as concerned in unions in general uh, about, you know, any of them as I, uh, for their labor negotiations for, for as, as it results in how much money they're making is that none of them ever seem to think about long-term. None of them ever think about safety. None of, none of them ever question about what about uh, our, our veterans, you know, what about the, our older players? What are we doing for them? No one ever thinks about any of that. That's, that's my biggest complaint about, about sports unions in, in general is that you, you don't press for the things that make your life safer and that, and, and, and make or your better. I mean, because my players have been left out of all this. And the, and the one, one group that is being taken most egregiously advantage of is minor league players. They're not part of the MLBPA and they are the guys that suffer the most. And it, it is in large part why when they do reach major league baseball, if they do reach major league baseball, they want to get every penny that they can possibly get because they've been, they've had pennies pinched on them at, at young, at young ages. They've got a limited earnings window and all of that, all of that is important to them. And, and so that's why that's why players do this kind of thing. But I will just say this, Kevin, and I'll leave it at this. The last two times around, players negotiated with owners. They settled for a lot of creature comforts that we'd all mock, you know, like better nutritionists, um, better better uh, spreads and things like that and, and uh, off-the-field care. And it wasn't so much about monetarily. It was about, look, we've got a good system. Let's make everything – the best to take care of these players away from the field as well. Let's build a partnership. 
And that's what they that's what they negotiated. And in theory, that's what they tried to do. And what owners did was immediately take advantage of that by manipulating service time for players, by, you know, basically trying to drum out the the middle group of, of players, the middle tier of players that were making three, four million dollars a year so that they either had these high paid superstars that, that were under control for a long time or guys under the uh, the arbitration threshold. So that that is the problem is that no matter how often players have proposed real partnership, owners are in a position of saying, yeah, we'll be your partners as long as we can be the boss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just from a practical standpoint, Evan, when uh, realize this is up in the air now, but, but if you didn't have this uncertainty, when would the Rangers be scheduled to report? And, and when would a, when would an agreement need to be reached in order for that uh, tentative deadline to still be hit? Listen, w- <laughs> The other thing that Kevin didn't mention about unions is litigiousness, right? And um, how much everything has to be negotiated out. So even once you get an in-principle sure. um, agreement, who knows what the ratification process takes in, is involved uh, is involved there and all the other minor details. But to cut to the chase, I would think that, listen, you've got a lot of players that still need to be signed. You've got players that need to make some arrangements. I would think that this week is pretty much the cutoff date to get something in place so that the teams could all report as expected around Valentine's Day. Um, I think there's probably a week to play with in terms of that, that even if you reported on February 19th instead of February 14th, that you wouldn't lose any spring training games and you just have a few less workouts, which players would be completely fine with. Um, but that that's... That to me is is about where the cutoff becomes. Once you get past February first, um, you're talking about losing exhibition games, and and that's just for me unacceptable. So if you don't get something in the next five to ten days, a resolution is going to start eating into the normal preparation time and potentially the schedule after that. A hundred percent. And even with pitchers, the one thing that those first five days of spring training are important for are pitchers. And so if you do have to shorten spring training by a week. You're going to have more um, more guardrails in place in terms of how pitchers ramp up for the season and how they start the season, and you're going to have the same kind of lookout for arm injuries, you know. And so you're you're putting some players at jeopardy. All right, that's going to do it for our Rangers talk, uh, and that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We appreciate you tuning in and listening. I encourage you to encourage your friends to do as well. We need to drive up some uh, of these. Uh, uh, Listeners, right? David yeah, says we a, only got two or three. Really, that, you said we only had two, I believe. There was said. no excitement Fans. in the sign-off. There needs to be more excitement. Excitement? Talking in exclamation points? Is that what you're saying? Say Maybe. Something. Oh, that's that's not going to do it. That, I'm, I'm afraid no one's going to say, you know what? Wow. He was yelling when he said that. I'm going to listen. I'm going to go wrestle up all my friends and family. Oh, my gosh. This is going to be great. It's all about use, the send off, Kevin. Send them off good. Yeah. You could use like more old people words that, that Callie enjoys, like last week. Like, like a, you could throw out a scally wag or something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There's all kinds. We can give Callie, we can spend hours talking about that, but let's not. Uh, let's let's move right on. Enjoy the championship games this weekend. And uh, when uh, when Uncle Ricky comes back to town, that'll be great too. So, from everybody in here to everybody and out Callie, there. Callie, you go have yourself a nice lunch in San Francisco. I will text David for recommendations. (laughs) 
Um, Evan, thanks for cutting off my send off. Uh, yeah, he, he nailed the I, dismount and then you ruined it. I give you my, my Chinese gosh. restaurant recommendation, but it's like the only place I eat in San Francisco. So, Evan, here, uh, Christian, just cut this part off with Evan in it, okay? Thanks, everybody. See ya. Bye.